Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Okay, Father, we are grateful to be able to fellowship on this day. Now, as we look into the prophecies of the scripture, we pray that you speak to all of our hearts. We love you, we honor you, and worship you in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. So this evening, we would like to talk about Bible prophecy made easy, and we're going to look particularly into Israel and Daniel's 70 weeks. So I'm going to read Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye or all of you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, a Gentile is a non-Jewish person without a covenant as the Jewish people had. Now, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. So we want to emphasize at this point, Jesus is making the statement that the abomination of desolation has not occurred as of the time this was spoken. And it had not occurred by the time Matthew wrote this gospel some decades later. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9, beginning with verse 20. And I'll read through the end of the chapter. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Oblation is a word that means offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am come now to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Six things here are going to be enumerated. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks. And three score and two weeks, that's 62 weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after 62 weeks shall Messiah be cut off or killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations, plural, are determined and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the one week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease 
And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Bible prophecy made easy. Looking into the scriptures, anytime someone gets into prediction, we wonder whether or not these predictions were as accurate as the Bible characters portray, or if they were written later, as skeptics proclaim. But I don't think there's anything that proves the inspiration of Scripture like prophecy, like the fulfillment of the predictions. The Scriptures predict that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It happened just like Micah prophesied. The Scriptures predicted that Jesus would come out of Egypt. You remember the persecution at his birth. His parents fled to Egypt. Then Matthew tells us they came out of Egypt and it was in fulfillment of the prophecy of Hosea. Out of Egypt have I called my son. The prophets declared before Jesus was born that he would heal the sick and bear our sins and griefs and sorrows. That's Isaiah 53. And when Jesus healed people, Matthew chapter 8, verse 17 says, He did this in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Psalm 22 talks about Jesus' crucifixion, which occurred. The Bible talks about him being raised from the dead in the Psalms, which occurred. So all of these things demonstrate that Bible predictions are very, very accurate. Now, sometimes people will say the Bible is about one-third prophecy or a fourth prophecy, but from Genesis to Revelation, I think I can demonstrate that everything in this book has some kind of connection to prophecy. And all I need to do is use two prophecies. When Adam and Eve sinned, God came to the woman and told her that she was going to bear children in sorrow. And then in Genesis 3.15, God spoke to the serpent and said, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. What in the world are these 70 weeks? And how is it that they begin, according to verse 25, at the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem? So a brief history lesson. Israel came out of Egypt, wandered in the wilderness, and went into the promised land. Because of their backslidings, their rebellion, one nation after another came upon them and took them over. And sometimes destroyed some of not only the real estate, but the buildings they had. Well, they ended up with the temple falling apart and everything was gone and the city pretty much had been destroyed because the Babylonians had come, just utterly demolished it all because of Israel's sin. When you read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king over there in the Persian area, which we know today as Iran. In chapter 2, the king said to uh, the people, they can go home and rebuild Jerusalem. That's when the commandment began. That's when it all started. Now, these 70 weeks are fairly easy to understand if we think of them this way. 
we think of a week as a period of seven days. But I want you to think of each week as a period of seven years. Now, Robert Anderson, in his book, The Coming Prince, he's the one that really popularized the, 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 the numeration of all of this many, many years ago. But here is how it begins. The Royal Observatory over in Greenwich, England, they, through their calculations, were able to determine that it was March 14th or so when the commandment came for the people to go and rebuild Jerusalem. That would have been 445 B.C. At that point, the children of Israel began to work on the restoration. The story of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the wall. Ezra is about them getting the people in line so that the word of God can be preached. And they continued this for seven weeks, 49 years, each week representing seven years. So seven times seven would be 49 years. The people became discouraged. There were enemies that were opposed to them. Opposition came in a variety of different directions. And this is why we have in our Bible the books of Haggai and Zechariah. God sent Haggai and Zechariah to the Israelites to say, look, get it together. Get up and rebuild the temple. Stop being discouraged. Get back to work. So everybody had a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. And they started working and repairing and protecting themselves. And from the time that they did that, all the way until Jesus Christ came and died, as Daniel prophesies here about Messiah being cut off, that would be 62 more weeks. So we had the first seven weeks, then we have 62 more weeks, with each week representing seven years. That gives you 434 all told and all together, you've got about 483 years from the time the commandment started until Jesus died. Over 173,880 some odd days, and Daniel was able to prophesy with specificity right down to the very day that the Messiah would be murdered. He didn't even die because of any sin in his life or because of any misdeed in his life. He died because he himself came to bear our iniquities. So this is what Daniel is saying. He tells us again to reiterate, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon Israel. So we know this is about Israel. Then we gave you the figures and told you 69 weeks have been completed. That means presently there's one week that has yet to be completed. That's the period we call the Great Tribulation. Seven years of tribulation. Seven years of tribulation that are detailed and outlined in the book of Revelation. So then here's the question. If 69 weeks have already been completed and Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, then know the end is come and it still hasn't occurred. Then where are we presently in Bible prophecy? Well, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, 
detail the events that will occur just before the Lord Jesus himself is going to come for his bride. So as a Christian, then, we turn now to Romans 11, and we understand again from verse 25, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So at this present moment, the role of the church is to get as many people into the kingdom of God as possible during this time frame, because eventually the trump of God is going to sound. Jesus Christ is going to return in the air. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. But meanwhile, until he comes, we are to occupy. We are to preach the gospel because Matthew 24, 14 says this gospel is going to be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end shall come. So our role in verse 25 is to help bring people into the kingdom of Almighty God. That's important. Every time somebody stands out on a street corner and they start preaching and telling folks to repent, that's all a part of biblical prophecy. Every time you see someone who is making use of radio or television, it's all a product of Daniel's prophecies about knowledge increasing in the last days. When you hear stories about people casting out devils and people being made whole and supernatural deliverance, it's still a product of prophecy because Daniel said, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. When people stand up in an open field somewhere on a platform and thousands of people out there hear the gospel and then respond, that is in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. So Romans eleven twenty five tells us presently Israel is partially blind. Notice they're not totally blind. They can come to know Christ. They're partially blind until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So God has a moment in time where he'll say, this is enough, when I don't know. If I wake up tomorrow morning, I know that all the prophecies of the scriptures have not been fulfilled. And as long as I'm here, I'm to be a witness just like you are. But now let's focus on Israel. Notice in Romans 10, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Saved. Everybody say that word. Saved. So according to the Apostle Paul, the children of Israel at this time of his writing this were not saved from their sin. Reason for that. They had rejected Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and certainly had not believed that Jesus was God's son. And that is a belief that is still maintained by the vast majority of Jewish people today. But Paul says in verse number three that they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they went about to establish their own righteousness. Well, look at chapter 11. If Israel has rejected God the Son, does that mean God doesn't care about Israel anymore? That he's not interested in them? 
Romans 11 verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Absolutely not. God forbid. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and dig down your altars and I'm left alone and they seek my life. He thought he was by himself. That's what Elijah thought. He thought everybody else had apostatized and walked away from truth and rebelled against God and ran wholeheartedly in toward, in, uh, toward pagan and foreign religion, only to discover in verse number four, God said to him, I reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now, he didn't know that. Elijah had no idea there were 7,000. But here is how the, the story works out in 1 Kings. God told Elijah, it's not going to rain because Elijah prayed. And he told the king that. And after he told the king that, Elijah went and hid by a brook. And then he went and visited a widow who God had commanded to sustain him. While he's passing through this period of two years or so, Israel is going through a terrible time of famine, the shortage of food. The heavens are not open. Everything is bone dry. You could grab the dirt, toss it, it up in the air, just dust everywhere. All it was was a big, huge dust bowl. And this is with the people who knew God and loved God still passing through this. Well, the scriptures tell us somewhere in all of this, there was such anger towards Elijah that Ahab was sending people from city to city and nation to nation in the vicinity trying to figure out where Elijah was because Obadiah later on told Elijah that. And when all of the persecution broke out, because things got so bad that Jezebel started killing all of God's prophets and Obadiah took 100 of them and hid them 50 by 50 in a cave and he brought to them bread and water. The scripture says he feared the Lord and he looked after them. So while Jezebel was killing the prophets and Ahab was looking for the main prophet Elijah, Obadiah the servant was preserving God's people because that's what God does. He preserves a remnant no matter how bad the times, no matter what the tribulation is. Later, God tells Elijah, I have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. Now, Elijah didn't know about the hundred in the cave, and Elijah didn't know about the 7,000. My point is very simple. In Romans 11, when Paul is writing this, you can see in verse 5, he says, Even so, at this present time, there's also a remnant according to the election of grace. Well, who's the remnant? Any and all Jewish people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They are the remnant that he's referring to. So verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So what's the difference between work and grace? Well, look at Romans 9 and look at verse 31. Israel who followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Now, who's the stumbling stone? Jesus. 
As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So the children of Israel who are still trying to obtain and attain righteousness by the keeping of Old Testament laws, they themselves have not become part of the remnant because they have rejected the stone. However, they still belong to God. And they're still the apple of God's eye and God still has a plan for them and God's purpose for them is real. Well, that leads to the next question then. Does this mean that the church has totally replaced Israel so that Israel is of no consequence? No, it doesn't mean that at all. There are denominations and churches and people who teach that there is no significance to the political Israel that exists right now. They'll say it's a man-made fabrication that there's no genuine significance of any political or spiritual kind for the nation of Israel in the Middle East today. And they will say that because they rejected Jesus Christ, the church has totally replaced them. That's, that's inaccurate. Here's what you do need to know. We no longer keep the liturgical laws. We don't need a temple. We don't have to dress according to how priests dress under the old covenant. All of those things are done away with in the Lord Jesus Christ. But since Israel came first and the church came last, then what God did was he took us and grafted us into them. The problem with Israel is because of their unbelief, they were broken off. But the scripture says that when they come to believe, they also will be grafted back in. There is a point in time coming when Israel will be saved. You can see that in verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. One day, it's going to be more and more Jews coming to know Christ. But let's continue working on this relationship of the Christian and the Jew. Notice verse 17. It's talking about the branches being broken off and you being a wild olive tree. That was us. We're grafted in among them. That's amongst the Israelites. And with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if you boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So the root holds up the vine. The root holds up the tree. The root system holds up the vegetation. Israel is the root system that produced Christianity. It is the system that produced the church as we understand it. So Peter, Matthew, John, James, Jude, all of them were Jewish. People, sometimes they will say, and some very popular people on television uh, hold to this belief of a dual covenant, that Christians are saved by the blood of Jesus and Jewish people are saved by the covenant they have with Abraham. That's error. It doesn't matter if someone's last name is Cohen, Rabinowitz, or Kaplonsky. They need the blood of Jesus just as much as those whose family last names are Smith, Johnson, and Jones. Everybody has to come by way of the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the ethnicity. This is the way the Lord designed it. And this is why Jonah went to Nineveh and preached to those Assyrians and said, repent and turn to God. And even they had to convert and become what Jonah was. 
So as a Christian then, we go into the uttermost parts of the earth, we shake hands with our neighbors across the fence, and we tell them whatever their ethnicity or background, you must be saved. If you must be saved, you may be saved. So out here then, we have a lot of different ethnic backgrounds. People that are Bohemian, people of German descent, people of Scottish and British backgrounds. I think I told you one time many years ago, I did a, a youth uh, trip or youth, uh, some kind of a little adventure. I took some teenagers and I said, let's go over to the cemetery. And we went and I said to them who had been raised in the area, I said, do you know who this family is? And they start telling me, well, this one, they used to run a grocery store, and their grandparents did this, and they're going through all of that kind of stuff. And you could look at the names and tell, you know, kind of what the backgrounds were as far as where they would have been from. But on that particular, that particular youth night, I think we counted more than 20 different nationalities of people that lay buried in the cemetery. Now, if that was what I found over in Webster County, I'm sure if we went throughout Thayer County and other counties, we would find also that those of the same background are buried here and probably even a few more. So that means you don't have to go around the world to get to the nations. You can find the nations right out here. You can find people out here that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ who are of Swedish background, who are of Danish and Scandinavian backgrounds. You can find people right out here that may have some kind of connection to Canada. So this is what we're talking about when we're saying we minister the word of God and recognize our close connection to the nation of Israel. Now, does this make us superstitious? No. I'm not the kind of a person who is under the impression that you can't say, you can't recognize any wrongdoing on the part of modern day Israel. There are some people like that. There's some modern teachers, they would never twist their lips to say that Israel today has done anything wrong. But I lived with a Palestinian family over in Jordan, and they kept the key to their former residence from Jerusalem right over the house. I heard some of the stories. It wasn't all the Arabs' faults, things that took place. I know that it was in the plan and the prophecy of God for the children of Israel to come back into the land. But what wasn't in the plan and prophecy of God is for all of the different kinds of bloodshed that emanate from that. See, God prophesied the result. He didn't prophesy how it was exactly going to take place. So sometimes then we have to see that even though God's chosen people are special to him, they're not perfect. I remember when I lived in Jerusalem, they had a big write-up in the paper while I was there. They, they found out that the blood banks in Israel had been saying that they were getting low on blood, so they were asking people to come and donate. So people were donating all over the place, and someone undercover or some worker in some hospital or blood bank helped somebody discover that they were receiving all the blood coming from the Russians and all the blood coming from other people, but the blood coming from those from Ethiopia and other places, they, as soon as the Ethiopians would donate the blood, they would walk straight out the back door and toss the bags of blood in the trash can. Can you imagine? This is what was going on then. 
So I'm not superstitious. I don't think my arm is going to shrivel up because I said that or even acknowledge that. There's no perfection in any people group on planet Earth. But God's love for Israel is never going to change no matter how many Arab nations want to see them pushed into the Mediterranean Sea because of the prophecies of the scripture. Well, look at verse 20. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. But you stand by what? Faith. So he says, don't be high minded or arrogant, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also doesn't spare you. Behold, therefore, the severity and goodness of God on them who fail severity. But toward you, the Gentile who received Christ, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise also you shall be cut off. So there's a severance, there's a cutting off with the children of Israel, but only in relation to what they believe about the gospel. How do I know that? Look at verse number 27. For this is my covenant unto them when I take away their sins, as concerning the gospels they are what? enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are what? Beloved for the Father's sake. This is why in the book of Acts, you have one account after the other of Christians being persecuted by Jewish people. Because of the gospel, they are enemies. Only in the sense that they don't recognize Jesus as the son. They think it's blasphemous that God could have a son. How could a man die on a cross as a criminal and then you think he's the Messiah? That's the Jewish perspective. There's something wrong with that kind of belief, they would say. How could you ever expect God to establish a system that he says he gave to Moses and was inspired by Moses, and then you say that that system was only temporary? That's the Jewish perspective. But it was Paul that told us in the epistle to the Hebrews, had the first covenant been without fault, there would have never been a need for the second covenant. God never intended the Mosaic covenant to be permanent. Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before there ever was an Adamic sin, God the Son had already predetermined he'd come into this world and die. So we differ with the Jewish people in our understanding of the Mosaic Covenant because we don't believe it was ever intended to be eternal or permanent. But Christ's coming, that is the most important thing. Now today, of course... The Holocaust, as evil and as wicked as people were during that time, that certainly showed the depravity of man to, to an ugly, ugly degree. Because of that, people don't want to say publicly that Jewish people need a savior. Because they'll say that's anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. They say, who are you to say that they need a savior? Well, it's not who am I, who is Jesus to say it? He's the one told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus is the one that told the disciples to start with the message right in Jerusalem and then take it on out into the widespread portions of Israel and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. In the book of Acts, it is entirely about reaching Jews. Every chapter in the book of Acts has a Jewish person either preaching 
or a Jewish person either hearing the word of God or it has a Jewish person or Gentile getting saved. That's every single chapter from chapter one through chapter 28. It's impossible to escape the gospel and the obligation that the Lord imposed upon the Jewish people and other people. And this is why Daniel's 70 weeks are so important because they have rejected the son. That 70th week, that time of tribulation is going to be a period of judgment, not only upon the nations of the world, but also upon the Jewish people. And Daniel gave six reasons about why it would take place. In the end, Jewish people are going to put their faith in the wrong person. There'll be a man of sin that'll be revealed. And people will begin to trust that he can produce peace, even though according to Daniel's prophecies, he will worship and revere the God of war, God of forces. And he is going to try to act as though he himself is a God. And I think next time I'll take that up and work on that. But the bottom line, folks, is it's a great day to be alive. Yes, it is. It's a great day to be alive. Jesus told those Pharisees and Sadducees one time, they were saying, we want to see a sign from you. Do something. And Jesus said, look, you can't even understand the signs out here. You look at the sky and you, you, you have some idea what's going on, but no other sign is going to be given to you other than the sign of the prophet Jonah, who for three days and three nights was in the belly of the fish and then came up and so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth and come up. And they couldn't even receive what he had to say. So we're paying attention. We're watching. We know that the, the Middle East is a boiling cauldron of all kinds of problems. We know that Central Asia is important to Russia. We've got our eyes on Israel to see what it is that God has said, and we're not afraid because we don't need to be afraid. Prophecy wasn't given to produce fear in us. Prophecy was given to cause us to have confidence in what God knows is going to occur. Amen? Amen. So this is the time of the end, and we are excited to see what God is going to do. Let's have a word of prayer. Oh God, your word is rich, and it is filled with all kinds of wonders and goodness. And We pray the more and more that we dig into this with detail that you would speak to all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to look into the scriptures without fear, Trusting you, knowing that because your son came and died on the cross, we're saved by grace and not by our own individual works, but because of what Christ did on that cross. We love you and we honor you and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, 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 Amen.